Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a labourer is sweet, whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. So today, as you might have picked up from the reading, we're going to be talking a bit about money. This is a topic that makes a lot of people feel nervous to talk about. Um, I don't think Australians like talking about money. It tends to be a bit of a private thing for us. Um, But it's such a huge part of our lives. I've heard it as a good general principle. If you really want to know what someone truly values in real life, authentically, you've got to look at two things. You look at their calendar and you look at their bank statement. That'll tell you what you need to know. Most of what you need to know about our values and priorities will be there. Now, lots of people have said different smart things over the years about money and what it means to have money. Here is a quote from Guy de Rothschild, who was a member of a wealthy French banking family in the 20th century. He said, everyone has it, no one has enough. Reluctant to discuss it, they think of nothing else. People invest it with their own intimate feelings, their rivalries, their triumphs, their frustrations, their ambitions, their resentments. At night, it grows into something real, overpowering, enlightening, protective, crushing. Or, as the rapper Notorious B.I.G. famously said in a song from my high school years, more money, more problems. I think that's a simple way of saying what the guy is trying to say there. Um, So in this reading we've just had from Ecclesiastes, the teacher talks about some of these problems that we have with money. Um, As we've seen in previous weeks, the goal of the teacher in this book in the Old Testament is to explore what gives meaning to life and what doesn't by looking at the various strategies that we use to pursue meaning in our lives. And his basic conclusion right from the start is that everything that we normally pursue in life is in fact meaningless in the sense that it is something that is like smoke or a vapour or a mist and something that we can't hold on to. And as we've seen, the Hebrew word for this is hevel, meaningless, and that's what's translated in our Bible that way. And this applies to the teacher for every, to everything that human beings do in this world. So he says we're like people who run about chasing after the wind and trying to catch it as though we could. So I think as Christians, it's helpful for us to engage with this perspective because, as we know, these pursuits of chasing after the wind makes up so much of our lives. And if we are Christians, we're people who've committed ourselves to invest ultimate meaning in in our spiritual life, in Christ. So the topic today um, is similar to the one a couple of weeks ago where I looked at how the teacher of Ecclesiastes explored the idea of achievement and success and whether that can bring meaning to life. This section uh, from chapter 4 and 5 is about a similar but a sort of different question, which is about uh, the idea of pursuing satisfaction or fullness in life and thinking about what it is that will satisfy the deepest desires that we have. And, of course, when you, once you do that, you can't really go past money as a strategy that we have for gaining satisfaction in the world. It was the same back in the time of Ecclesiastes as it is now. Many people spent their entire lives, he saw, going after money. 
and what it might bring them. And so in this reading, he tries to show today why money in the pursuit of it is part of this problem of meaningless or hevel. And basically, his point is that the pursuit of money is self-destructive and it doesn't achieve what it's looking for. And there are three reasons, at least, why it does that. So the first is, the first problem with money is you can never actually have enough of it. He says, the desire for money is something that doesn't seem to be able to be fulfilled. It's not like food where a big meal is enough to fill your stomach. So he says in chapter 5, verse 10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income, and this too is meaningless. And in verse 11, he points out the experience that we all know, which is that once you have a certain level of wealth, that just becomes the base for you. And then the desire comes to move to the next level. He says, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. The more money we have, the more opportunities we have to spend it. Our expectations change. There's a new normal. And then you just set your sights on the new thing. And these schemes for growing more and more wealth just take up more and more of our time and more and more of our attention. In verse 12, he speaks about this. The sleep of laborers is sweet, whether they eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich permits them no sleep. Many of us dreaming, dream of winning the lottery, occasionally, I think. But the sad reality, if you actually look at what happens, is that most people who win the lottery, they've done studies, they're not happier after they win it than they were before. Um, research has found there is a sort of initial bump in their life satisfaction, and then they just get used to what they have, and they go back to the level of happiness that they had before. And a lot of lottery winners have terrible lives after that. They're completely ruined by the good fortune that they had, because they can't deal with it. So the problem with money, that the first problem he says, is that there's no amount of having of it that can actually bring meaning to life. That's the first problem. The second problem that the teacher identifies with money is that one way or another we will lose it. So we look at chapter 5, verse 13 to 15. The teacher here describes a grievous evil he sees where someone hoards all his or her wealth but then loses it, loses it through misfortune, you know, so a fall in the stock market, fraud a foolish business decision, um, theft. could be any number of things. So wealth can just slip through your fingers and be gone. Even wealth that's being held on to with good intentions for our families and our children can be gone in an instant. And everything that we might have worked for and sacrificed therefore will not be there anymore. But even, he says, if we don't experience any of those losses along the way, we will still lose everything eventually. In verse 15... Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as they, everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. The Egyptian pharaohs used to be buried with huge treasures around them to take into the next life. But we know those treasures were usually stolen from their tombs quite soon after they were buried. And could they really take it anyway? Um, I, think, I understand the only reason that we can actually see and still the vast treasures of Tutankhamun's tomb today was because he was such an insignificant pharaoh and people essentially forgot where he was buried so they couldn't come and rob it. So um, anyway, what he's saying, what the Ecclesiastes is saying, you can't take it with you. It doesn't matter how much you try. So that's the second problem with money. And the final problem he identifies, he talks about, is the, about money is in the way that it damages our relationships with other people. 
particularly when people are exploited so that other people can make money off their work. And so in chapter 4, verse 1, Again, I looked, and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. So the key word here is oppression, isn't it? It appears three times in that one verse. So he's saying the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of money, often comes at the expense of others. In the Bible, we talk about oppression. It involves cheating defrauding someone or robbing them of what is rightfully theirs, and it involves, involves unjustly profiting at the expense of another person. And in this verse, this verse outlines, it often involves an abuse of power that we have, either financial power or other people, where the wealthy profit at the expense of the most vulnerable people, so widows, orphans, or he says the stranger, or in modern terms, the refugees or the migrants. As the saying goes, we know, the rich get richer, and the poor get poorer. Those two things are related to each other. Because the power and resources are in the hands of the rich and they use these as leverage to take advantage of the poor. This is the problem, he says. Money, which we pursue, is often an instrument of oppression and the system of money in that world can be destructive of people's lives. Rather than bringing satisfaction to everyone, it actually deprives many people of their even basic needs that they have. And this is something that we might not see clearly in Australia because the problem with oppression and exploitation in the modern world is that so much of it is hidden. We live in a global economy and the goods that we receive come from far away often and they're produced under conditions that we can't see or control. Um, you know, in recent years we've become more aware, a lot of us, that the coffee and the tea that we drink, the clothes and the shoes that we purchase, that we wear, the electronic devices that we depend upon are often produced under oppressive conditions and our wealth and our comfort may come at other people's expense. This is about profit, about money. Things are made as cheaply as possible and sold as expensively as possible, and that's how you make money. Um, but the extra value that that money represents is often extracted from the, the poor and from the natural environment around them. And so um, this is the problem that we grapple with. People talk about colonialism in Western societies. We're trying to acknowledge that much of the wealth that we have has come from other people who we've taken it from and our relationship is damaged. So here's the final problem with money. In the pursuit of it, he says, and in trying to get as much of it as we can, it often leads to the oppression of those who are poorer than us. But that is only part of the relationship that can be damaged in our pursuit of money. So we look also at chapter 4, verse 4. He says, and I saw that all toil and all achievements spring from one person's envy of another, and this too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So if we're in danger of oppressing those who are poorer than us, then he says we're also in danger of envying those who have more. This is the problem. We talk trying to keep up with the Joneses, they say. Or, you know, we're very conscious of what other people around us have and we're constantly comparing ourselves to them and we want what they have. And the thing is, of course, they found that we don't, when we do this, we only tend to compare ourselves with those who are similar to us or probably slightly wealthier than us. You know, what level should I be at? Um, and we seek to lift ourselves up to their level and pursue what they have. Like you're climbing a ladder, you know, looking up, up to those above you, not down to those below. Um, and I think that's the reason why very few people actually think that they're wealthy. I think if you asked, are you wealthy, you'd say no, um, because we spend our time looking at those who are wealthier than us rather than those who have less than us. So what he, I think overall what he's saying is in the realm of money, there are damaged relationships being created all around us. 
we oppress those below us, we envy those above us, and perhaps can't compete with those around us. Um, but in addition to this, we can neglect those in our lives who are around us. In, verse, in chapter 4, verse 7 to 8, he gives a little vignette or a story of a man who is all alone in his pursuit of wealth. He says he's got his task-focused hours of slaving and toiling away, his desires to beat others against him, around him and win against them. He says he has no son, he has no brother, he's all alone. What is the point? And yet he just keeps working and he's not content with what he has. And in a moment of realisation, he suddenly says in verse 8, for whom am I toiling, he says, and for what? And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? What's been all the point of this? And so that's the third problem with the pursuit of money. It damages relationships, whether through oppression, competition, or through neglect. So there's a lot of problems with money. Then there might be some wise nodding along in the congregation about this. Yes, it's true, Andrew. It had, money has all these problems. Now, there's a word, though, that bubbles up to the surface, I find, whenever we talk about money in the Bible. Small word, but... <laughs> Yes, we say the teacher is right. Money doesn't satisfy us, but we still need it, don't we? We can't really live without it at the moment. Yes, we can't take it with us, but we can't enjoy life very much without it either, Andrew. Um, yes, it damages relationships, but what can I do about that, really? And all of those buts are right, because the, the problem with money itself is not actually money. The problem with money is not about money. And it can't, I think, be solved with thinking about just the problems that money causes us or changing slightly how we spend our money or how we make it. I think the real problem with money that Ecclesiastes shows us is that the problem is the problem of what exactly is it that can satisfy the desire that all of us have to experience a full life? What will make us truly satisfied? So Jesus spoke about this problem in a parable that he told, which we can read in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 to 21. It's called the parable of the rich fool. And it says, And Jesus told them his parable. The ground of a certain man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then what will you get? Who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And he says, This is how it will be. With whoever stores up for themselves things but is not rich towards God. So Jesus is saying what Ecclesiastes says, that all of us come into the world naked, with nothing, we're usually screaming and hungry when we're born. We're a bundle of needs that have to be met. We're empty and we need to be filled. And we never really stop experiencing those desires, our hunger for food and also for the things that fill us up and make us feel satisfied and complete. Money is really just a symbol for us of that constant experience of hunger and desire that drives us to accumulate things. We spend our lives looking for something that will fulfill us. And we're looking for something that will fill us up. And so he says we pursue money. Maybe that'll do it. The abundance of food and possessions that it gives us, like the rich man in Jesus' parable. We feel, you know, when I have enough, I will be able to rest and enjoy life. This is what this man says. 
That never seems to happen, though, does it? The problem with money is that the desire for life that God has created us with is not able to be satisfied by money or the things that money brings. The teacher would say this is meaningless. This is hevel, which, as we have seen, it means smoke or mist or vapour. He would say, I think, that trying to satisfy yourself by accumulating money is like trying to fill your stomach by eating smoke. It doesn't matter how much smoke you eat, you're not going to feel full. But what does fill us up? Um, I think in the Bible, God offers his people a different kind of food. And he's recognising the problem that Ecclesiastes brings up for us, this desire that can't be satisfied. So, for instance, in Isaiah chapter 55, God says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you, have, you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. He's offering something. What is this food that he is offering, though? Jesus spoke to his followers about this as well. In John chapter 6, verse 33 to 35, he said to them, For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, Sir, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So last week we saw in chapter 3, the teacher argues that we were made for more than this life and the time that we have in it. God has placed eternity in our hearts. And he has also, we learn, put inside us a desire for fullness of life that is more than the things in the world can satisfy. And that hunger is a desire for the presence and the experience of God himself, his words, his love, his joy, his spirit. And this is what Jesus came to share with us. So the spirit of God and his life, we were made to be filled with that and nothing else is going to fill that. There's no coincidence that in the fact that the centre of Christian worship has been the Holy Communion as we celebrated today. It's a meal. We're invited to feed on God's life, to take it in what Jesus offers, a spiritual food that actually fills us up. And so the question for us is whether we allow ourselves to experience that hunger that we feel for what it really is and to accept the bread of life. Or are we determined to keep filling our mouths with smoke, with food and money and possessions to try to take that hunger away? Have you ever felt that? If so, you understand the problem of money. And the but is correct. Money is a necessary part of this life. But money is really only a sign of this real desire that we have and what might satisfy it. Um, and I think that once this desire does start to be satisfied, then money will lose some of its hold on us and, and contentment and generosity can begin to flow and solve the other problems of money in our life, our broken relationships and the other things that have come from it. So we're going to pray today and we're going to reflect as we sing in a minute that God is going to fill us today with his spirit. Let's seek that. So let me pray, then we'll sing. Lord, we thank you for this word today, the reminder that the things that we seek can often not satisfy our hunger. We pray that we would understand then what it is that we really need and what can truly satisfy that for us. And we pray that you would give us today the, the, your bread and your word 
your spirit to fill us from within. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.